RPC Radio. Hello, and welcome to Money Covered, a podcast from RPC, aimed at those dealing with complaints and claims in the financial services sector. I'm Ash Daniels, the host of this podcast, and each month we'll discuss topical issues of relevance to those dealing with complaints and claims against FCA-regulated entities, TPR-regulated entities, as well as offshore professionals and accountants. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening, thank you for tuning in today. I'm joined by Rachel Healy to discuss the latest FCA guidance in relation to the consumer duty of care. Now, I'm going to be honest, I've taken a look at the FCA paper um, and it collectively over a few hundred pages. I figured I'd rather let you give me a summary instead. Um, so the burning question for me and for listeners, I'm sure, is what is the FCA consumer duty? And on a side note, good luck summarising that number of pages into just a few minutes. Thanks, Ash. Um, so the starting point is what the Consumer Duty actually says. So in very, it's very simple to start with. It's that firms should act to deliver good customer outcomes for retail customers. So as I said, sounds simple. How on earth can that honestly need three to 400 pages worth of guidance and understanding when what the FCA is really trying to do is making sure that retail customers get good outcome in the end. But the devil is really in the detail. And although it sounds quite simple when you just repeat what the new principle is going to say, there's so many layers to it and so many different concepts that it is actually quite complicated. So I guess the starting point is it's about retail customers. So not about um, large corporates getting advice or anything like that. It's about r- retail customers. And the FCA paper identifies four outcomes that it wants to achieve for this uh, new duty, calls it the duty in a, with a capital D in its papers. Um, that's products and services, price and value, consumer understanding, and consumer support. So I think so far we can probably all agree that that sounds quite simple and the right thing for the FCA to do. You know, good good outcomes when it comes to price and value, good outcomes when it comes to products and services, all good to start with. Um, but the next point probably to make is that the scope, so it's about all firms in the distribution chain that influence material aspects of the design target market and performance of retail financial services and or products. Nothing too broad then at all. <laughs> well, yeah, I think when people probably initially hear about the consumer duty, they're thinking, oh, it's advisors. But actually, no, it's about everybody in that distribution chain. And it's not necessarily the case that you need to have a direct relationship with that retail customer for this consumer duty to bite. So it is very, very broad in scope. And it goes even further to cover ancillary services as well and activities. So there may well be an, a part of the service that's unregulated, for example, con- customer support that is covered, provided is linked to a regulated activity. So we start from this very simple idea, good outcomes for retail customers, and then we get a very, very broad scope. And then on top of that, we have a whole host of other ideas and, and that the that the FCA has put forward. So the starting point is probably this cross-cutting rules idea, which is three different concepts. So that firms must act in good faith, avoid causing foreseeable harm, and enable and support retail customers to pursue their financial objectives. So you have these cross-cutting rules that go across everything on top of the consumer duty. 
There is then also this idea about applying things with proportionality. So this means looking at the firm's influence over the retail customer outcome. So as I mentioned before, it's not about just the direct relationship with the retail customer. This duty is not just going to be a relevant thing for those who have that relationship. It's about anybody in the chain, but it is meant to be looked at proportionately. So the further away, it seems to me, from the retail customer you are, the less influence you have over their decision, then the duty is not going to arguably apply quite as dramatically as it will if you're right at the coalface with the customer. But these sort of concepts, the cross-cutting, you know, good faith, avoid of unforeseeable harm, proportionality, do you materially influence the, the decision of the customer are all quite intangible concepts. So it's quite hard to understand how they're going to work in practice, which is going to be really interesting in terms of how it's going to go forward. Yeah, it sounds like quite a subjective process. And I'll be interested to see, as many people will, I'm sure, if FOS will take the same approach with proportionality and looking at the sort of distance between uh, the firm and the, the complainant. You've mentioned already that the title itself doesn't sound particularly worrying or daunting. And to me, it doesn't sound particularly descriptive. It just sounds kind of what we would expect firms to be doing already, a consumer duty of care. So what exactly is the new duty aiming to achieve? I've mentioned before that the starting point makes a lot of sense. So good outcomes for retail customers. Um, But what the papers that the FC has produced go into quite a lot of detail and repeat on a number of occasions is they do genuinely consider that this consumer duty increases expectations on those who are influencing the decision of the customer, wherever you are in that distribution process. And they genuinely believe, based upon what they say in in these documents, that it will achieve a higher level of consumer protection. They also think that that will in turn mean increased competition, which must be good, and that firms will have to increase their understanding of customer needs and also be a lot more flexible when they deal with customers. All good byproducts of having this standard, you might say. Um, And so that's what it's there to achieve. I think it's really about the FCA creating an environment where it's not just about providing a product. It's about looking at it in the context of the individual customer and their behaviours and continually trying to assess whether you're doing the right thing as a firm. Now, most firms do that anyway, but this is writing it down in black and white and requiring firms to do it in a way that makes it an actionable issue before FOS at least. It's also creating an environment where there's going to be lots of data that firms have to keep and uh, maintain, which the FCA can request. Now, the FCA said in a number of other scenarios that it very much wants to be a data-driven regulator. So the idea that all the firms subject to this consumer duty are going to have to sit there and have documentation that sets out how they are achieving this new consumer duty and the FCA are going to request it, it means that the FCA is effectively more able to do its job (laughs) because it's going to be given the documentation that allows it to actually assess whether or not all of these very high expectations in relation to this new duty of care, how they're working in practice and whether or not the FCA is actually achieving what it really wants to achieve. So just from what we've spoken about already, I'm anticipating we're going to be seeing lots of these claims brought when the duty is in in play, whether they're defendable or not and whether they're easily defendable, but still going to be claims that people have to deal with. So what do you think the impact will be on firms more generally and what are the penalties for non-compliance? Well, firms are already having to start to get their head around the um, the new duty, having to have had sort of implementation plans in place from last year. 
But some of the what the FCA is saying is that this new duty will support a more agile and assertive supervision. So it sounds a little bit scary, it has to be said, um, particularly coming from your regulator. But there's probably two sides to that coin. First of all, who is it that the FCA says has responsibility for this duty? That hawks back to the senior managers regime, which we've had now for a couple of years. And it's going to make senior managers accountable for delivering the duty within their areas of responsibility. The FCA also says that there needs to be a champion at board level for the purposes of championing the duty. And as I mentioned before, there's going to be an obligation to maintain written evidence that this duty is actually being complied with and what they're doing in order to make sure that um, it's working across the board. The other side to it, other than who's responsible, are the regulatory tools that the FCA is putting in place for the purposes of effectively making sure it is there, it's working, and they're using it as a bit of a stick. And I've mentioned the data, so the FCA is going to get lots of data off the back of this, and that may well lead into some interventions. So, for example, changing permissions, suspensions, and so forth. There's also going to be changes to the FCA handbook, um, including rules around what we would usually these days refer to past business reviews. So when you see some consumer detriment, you're meant to take proactive steps in order to address that separately if you see a number of complaints in the same area. There are disparate rules around what to do in those circumstances. The new duty creates some new sections which effectively require a past business review if you are not achieving those good customer outcomes and there is this foreseeable harm, which the cross-cutting rules all refer to. Um, and it says you have to take what's called appropriate action and there's now a process set out in the FCA handbook as, as and when this all comes in, which sets out what firms have got to do. So it's a new stick. It's no doubt going to be used by the FCA and there are some more things for firms to think about as to whether or not they should be proactively doing things if if they notice that there's a an issue in relation to the implementation or, or the consumer duty more generally in their business. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I actually read an article that said the senior managers regime were actually not really being used by the FCA as much. A freedom information request sort of highlighted that actually they haven't tended to use it much. It'll be interesting to see if that makes a difference now. I don't think it stops it being very scary. Well, no, of course. Yes, of course. But um, it'll be interesting to see now if actually they do start to use that tool more. Do you think it's going to have an impact on complaints and claims? It seems like it's going to be quite a sort of broad rule and it's quite a broad um, remit that the firms have to work within. And you were mentioning about proportionality and about the distance between the firm and the, the complainant. So do you consider that there's going to be defences to potential claims that are brought? What's your view on this going forward? My own view is that the papers themselves are quite sensible in what they say, but the proof will sort of be in the pudding when it comes to what the FOS decides to do. So the starting point is that the consumer duty is not going to be actionable. So if there is a breach of the consumer duty, that does not mean that there is a right to go to court and shout about it and blame the firm. Just like any of the principles in the FCA handbook, they're not directly actionable and the consumer duty is not, at least at the start, going to be a private right of action, albeit that the consultation paper very much says this is going to be kept under review. So we'll have to wait and see on that, which really means that the biggest potential impact is going to be, at least at the start, before the financial ombudsman service, who do look at the principles. And we all know, for those of us who deal with FOS, that FOS is very used to using the principles and finding against firms based upon alleged breaches of the principles. So the rule is not intended to have retrospective effect. 
So you're not allowed to apply it to past actions, but you can apply it, and this is quite confusing, on a forward-looking basis to existing products and services as and when it all comes in. So how on earth FOS is going to do that, um, we'll have to wait and see. But broadly, it's not meant to apply before July this year. If anything is happening now, the consumer duty shouldn't apply. But if you've got a product now that you're going to have in, in August, then it will apply to the product when it comes to August um, on a forward-looking basis. The FCN and the FOS have apparently been speaking to each other when it comes to the consumer duty. And the paper talks about that what it expects is effectively the standard of a prudent firm carrying on the same activity in relation to the same product or service. Effectively sets out a sort of mini test, this prudent firm test, which isn't too far from looking at it from a civil claim point of view as to what the negligence test is, you know, reasonably competent advisor. So it seems to me that that's why I think it makes a bit of sense. It all sounds quite good so far. But the paper does then go on to say a prudent firm will fully embed the duty in good faith to meet the requirements, comply with all other relevant law, and, and this I think is the killer bit, deliver good outcomes for consumers, which is inherently, that is the duty, but I think it provides an awful lot of subjectivity in relation to what that actually means in practice. So for me, the big questions are all about FOS, and it comes down to a number of issues. First of all, I've heard the consumer duty referred to by other people as principle six on speed. So principle six of the uh, FCA handbook is what's called the treat customers fairly rule. And so principle six is often quoted against firms and force decisions. And if this is going to be principle six on speed, then that's going to be quite difficult for, for firms facing complaints before force. I've mentioned before that there are quite a lot of nebulous concepts in this as well, you know, whether you're not, you materially influence the process or, you know, what does that mean in practice? How far away do you have to be for the proportionality rules to, to kick in? How's that going to work? And there's also some other points which I think FOS might find it quite hard to square with what they currently do. So, for example, I mentioned before that the whole distribution chain is now caught by this duty. Just the level of the duty is going to change dependent upon where you are in that chain and how much of an influence you have over the final decision of the retail customer. But the problem with it, as I see it, is that the paper says that if you're at the end of the chain, you're not responsible for what happens early on in the chain. But take the, the typical thing that we often see as a team, advisor recommends an investment and transfer to a SIP provider. SIP provider then invests in accordance with what it understands the, the IFA has recommended and advised and what the customer's directed. Now, in all circumstances, we may see a claim against the advisor or we may see a claim against the SIP provider. The FOS is very quick to argue that, say, SIP providers, for example, should be monitoring the behavior of an IFA um, in terms of making sure that they're fully complying with their duties. How does that sit with this idea that you're only responsible for your own acts and omissions? doesn't seem to me to fit together. So how on earth is the FOS going to square that? I think the other thing that worries me a little bit is the idea of this ongoing duty to make sure that the product remains good for the consumer. FOS is already into looking at management information, looking at trends and saying, well, actually, you know, it might have started off okay, but then it went wrong. <laughs> so how how is that going to work for FOS? And is FOS going to use that in a way that's actually unhelpful for, for firms? And although the, the paper in a number of sections says that, and is at pains to say that the standards to be applied by the ombudsman are those that prevail at the time, one of the biggest criticisms that I hear all the time from firms facing complaints at FOS is they use the benefit of hindsight. 
I was going to say we all know that's that's not the case, is that they <laughs> so often see that they're looking looking at past actions on today's basis. Yeah, so, so I think sort of bringing all that together, I think it starts from the right place, looking at what a prudent firm would do in the circumstances. That sounds very much like the civil liability test. Great. I know that. I understand that. That makes sense. Don't use hindsight. You're not responsible for what other firms do. All makes sense. But when you then push in the idea of good outcomes for consumers, what does that actually mean in practice? This is going to be a new concept for FOS to have to deal with. Then on top of that, the way FOS already deals with things, I think there's going to be a lot of concern within the industry that the new duty is going to be used against firms by FOS, despite all of the mood music that consumers should take responsibility for their own decisions. We shouldn't apply standards retrospectively. I remain a little bit pessimistic as to how FOS might do this, but hopefully they'll prove me wrong. Yeah, I, I sadly share your pessimism <laughs> in that respect. Um, but who knows, we might we might be positively surprised this time next year. Um, and you mentioned actually that the private right of action was um, not an option here, but it was considered. And it's interesting to see that actually they, they didn't implement that, having considered it, especially because it would have reduced some of the burden on FOS. And we all know how long it can take to get a response from FOS, and that might have circumvented some of that burden, but we are where we are. Um, so one final question from me, and it's asking you to gaze into your crystal ball once again. What do you think the immediate impact is going to be on firms? You've mentioned that they're already having to deal with it, but once the rules are actually in place, what do you think the immediate impact will be? And what next steps firms and or insurers, if that's relevant, will have to take? Yeah, so I think I won't gaze into my crystal balls just to start off. I won't put my mystic Meg hat on. But I'll first of all just say that this is coming in in July for new and existing products. And then next year, it applies to back book services, so closed books. So for those who have an old book, you have a bit longer to work out whether it's going to work forward-looking. Um, but really, the big day is July this year. So we're going to know within a relatively short space of time what the FCA is going to think about it. It might take a bit longer for the FOS. In terms of what everyone should be looking out for, um, the cost of implementation is probably the biggest thing weighing on firms at the moment. You know, How much is it going to cost to make sure that all of their products and services and the price that they charge for things meets this new GT. I mean, that's a huge burden on firms. And so I think that the initial problem at the moment for everybody is working out the cost. In terms of how this might impact in particular sort of insurers from a professional indemnity perspective, I mean, they're going to have their own obligations to retail customers. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're going to be looking at this themselves. But outside of that, then they're no doubt going to be looking at the trends from the financial ombudsman service. You know, how often in decisions are we going to see this new principle quoted? Are we going to find that this new principle has been effectively using it against the firms to uphold a complaint? So I think at the moment it's hard to predict. I, I mentioned I'm pessimistic, but, you know, I'll try and be glass half full and hope that this doesn't change the landscape fundamentally. Um, I think the FCA's heart's in the right place. I just think that they perhaps need to get a little bit more of a rein on the financial ombudsman service if this is going to properly work in a way that works for not just consumers, but those providing the service. Because if they don't get that balance right, they'll lose the competition within the financial services industry. And that can only be bad for customers. Exactly. Yeah. The the, the very thing they're trying to protect could be impacted as a result of them losing the competition. Um, but thank you very much for, for taking me and listeners through that, Rachel. I appreciate it. it's not an easy thing to summarize. 
um, like I said, the FCA papers alone are uh, hundreds of pages, um, but I've certainly found that helpful. So thank you very much. RPC Radio. Radio. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us again next month when we'll be discussing the hot topics in the financial services sector. Please do click to subscribe and be sure to check out our other RPC publications at rpc.co.uk forward slash perspectives. Finally, many thanks to today's guests, as well as everyone behind the scenes at RPC that make this podcast possible. Mm-hmm.